Uh, let's pray. I'm going to open up the scriptures. Very excited about this morning's passage. Let's ask the Lord to meet us. Lord, here we are. Like, take us back to to the Sermon on the Mount setting. Like, we were one of the disciples there listening to your Holy Son, Jesus, teaching this powerful truth. And Lord, give us hearts to just say yes to everything Jesus taught and work this into our hearts by the power of your Spirit and to give us wisdom. And Lord, I need your help. Give me clarity of mind and give me a, a pure heart. And just free me from distractions or just from free me from myself, Lord. And meet us through your word for the glory of Jesus, we pray right now. Amen. Amen. Well, let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. We are going through the Sermon on the Mount, which starts off with eight Beatitudes. And today we're going to do the last Beatitude. I promise we're going to be picking up the pace here a little bit. But uh, the last beatitude, number eight, and so we want you all to have a Bible so that you can look on as we do the studying. So raise your hand if you don't have one. We'll bring one to you. Matthew chapter five is on page 809 in the Bibles that we're passing out. So to introduce this last beatitude, I want you to think about friends, people you know who don't know Jesus Christ, just people that you really know. You get tangible faces, names in your mind. Maybe it's neighbors who don't know Jesus Christ, or maybe it's people that you work with, or maybe it's family members or friends, but get in your mind one, two, three people that you know who don't know Jesus. Now, what the Bible teaches about people who don't don't know Christ is that, this is true for all of us here in this room before we were saved, but we've all been slaves, prisoners of Satan's kingdom. So these people that you're thinking of right now who don't know Jesus Christ, they are slaves of Satan's kingdom. Because of their sin, they're guilty before God, they're cut off from God's presence, they're under the dominion of Satan, and they're facing God's punishment. And it's tragic that they're there. We all were there, remember? And that's where they are. But this book not only says that people who don't know Jesus are prisoners of Satan's kingdom, this book says that God has given us the key by which their cell door can be unlocked by which they can be freed. So what is the key that he's given to us by which people can be set free? It's the gospel. It's when we speak the truth of the gospel. See, we can't open that cell door by ourselves, and they can't open that cell door by themselves, but God can open that prison cell door, and the means that God uses is when humble followers of Jesus share the truth of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and what that means. I mean, all through church history, millions and millions of times, there's been humble believers harvesting grain at a coffee shop during halftime, during a soccer game, you know, shopping together in a home. Millions of times throughout church history, there's been humble believers sitting down and sharing the truth of Jesus Christ with people who don't know Christ. And God moves with power through those settings and sets the captives free through the sharing of the gospel. Now, Satan hates that. He hates the power of the gospel. And so he does all that he can to keep followers of Jesus from sharing the gospel. And one of his most powerful ways of doing that is by having us be afraid of cost, being afraid of repercussions, being afraid of what the Bible calls persecution. Right? 
Because if Satan can make us fear persecution, fear what might happen if we talk about Jesus, if he can make us fear that, then we won't share the gospel and they will remain Satan's prisoners. And that's why this last beatitude, in this last beatitude, Jesus' purpose is to free his followers once and for all from fear of persecution. And that's what Jesus wants to work in our hearts this morning. So let's read all the Beatitudes, starting in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. And then we'll focus on the last one. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, mourn for their sin before God, for they shall be comforted, outpouring of his love and forgiveness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, at this point, Jesus does something he doesn't do with any of the other Beatitudes, but he directs his words specifically to those who are listening to him, and he addresses them in the second person. He says, he wants to reiterate it, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus does that. All the other Beatitudes, he just simply states. This one, he specially reiterates and repeats and digs a little deeper so that we can get it. So he's talking about persecution here in this, in these verses, verses 10 through 12. Now, let's just kind of get, get a sense of what, what does he have in mind? What's he talking about? And he gives two clues about what kind of persecution he's thinking of. First clue, in verse 10, he calls it being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, the word righteousness is usually used to describe how we live. It's our lifestyles. We're loving, we're merciful, we're kind, we're gracious, we're holy. There's things that we, we, we avoid because we're righteous. There's things that we do. We forgive, we speak the truth. So Matthew's talking about, Jesus is talking here about righteous lifestyles. So it's persecution that comes as a result of living a righteous life. That's the first clue. Second clue, verse 11, Jesus says we'll be persecuted on his account. That is because of him. Verse 10, it's because of how we live. Second, in verse 11, it's because of him. And I think we can... He wants us to put those two together. So here's the scenario that he wants us to think about. You're living a righteous life. Your your neighbor is sick and you bring them a meal. You don't lie. You're honest. You work hard at your job. You love your 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 wife and your kids. Um, you know you're 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 not slandering or gossiping. So you're living a certain way, and then you tell people why you live that certain way. It's not just your life. It's your words. Life plus words, Jesus says, there will be times when that produces persecution. Holy, righteous life, humbly speaking the words of Jesus, there will be times where that produces persecution. And he uses three words to describe persecution in verse 11. You may be reviled. Okay, that is spoken against. 
Second word, you may be persecuted. And that just covers anything, any way you might suffer loss. And here's just a little tiny example. A couple years ago, I was out walking by the creek near our house, and I was, I was trying to talk to people about Jesus. And I was. I was talking to people I'd meet, because I'd you know, see all these people. And there's this one woman who I, I, I just shared, like just for maybe 15 seconds about Jesus, and she was not happy. And I said, Lord bless you, I don't want to you know, bother you. And so she went on her way. And, and ever since then, every time I see her, there's just kind of a cloud. It's just you know, it's one of these awkward things. It's like she's not happy with me. She's still not happy with me. And that's just a little tiny, teeny thing. Okay? But that's what we're talking about. Okay? I mean, others have just experienced much, much more. But it just, it's, it's awkward. I mean, I still see her. It's just kind of awkward. But it also would cover, like in other countries, believers are in prison. In other countries, there's an Iranian pastor right now who's in prison facing the death penalty. Right, so we're talking just, you know, this is, this is persecution cost. It could cost a raise. It could cost a promotion, right? It can cost your reputation with other people. And then the third way he describes it, verse 11, is to have all kinds of evil spoken against you falsely, being slandered, being falsely accused, and so forth. So that's the kind of persecution that Jesus is talking about. Okay, so who is it that's going to be persecuted? Is it like just, you know, the apostles? Is it just evangelists? Is it kind of the super Christians? Who's going to be persecuted? And Jesus teaches here and in other passages that every one of his followers will be persecuted. Every follower of Jesus will face persecution. Two reasons I say that from this text. The first is, notice how Jesus lists being persecuted, number two, verse 10, um, as one of the Beatitudes. See, there's eight Beatitudes here. Jesus isn't thinking that you know some followers of Jesus are poor in spirit, others mourn, another group is meek, and then another group is persecuted. All eight of these describe every follower of Jesus. And the fact that he puts being persecuted in this list shows that in Jesus' thinking, every follower of Jesus is going to experience persecution as well as all of these. Does that make sense? Okay. The second reason is because the poor in spirit are promised the kingdom of heaven, and those who are persecuted, same promise, the kingdom of heaven. Which means that the kingdom of heaven, that's just another way of describing salvation. So everybody who's poor in spirit will receive the kingdom of heaven, and you will be changed by being poor in spirit, coming before Jesus in that way, so that all the others of these are going to happen, including becoming bold enough to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. So Jesus here is teaching that every one of his followers will be persecuted. You will live a righteous life, you will speak the truth of Jesus, and there will be times when you suffer persecution because of it. Now let me back this up. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, page 996 in the Bibles we passed out. This is a powerful verse. You might want to memorize this one. 2 Timothy 3, 12, back to the right in your Bibles, page 996. Here's what Paul says. He says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be, will be what? Persecuted. How many who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted? All of them. All of them. All of them. That's what Jesus is saying back in Matthew chapter 5. Following him will mean persecution. And, and this is helpful for a couple of reasons. One is because you can think that if you're getting persecuted, if there's some pushback, you can think that maybe you've done something wrong. 
right? I must have done something wrong here. I mean, that was a little bit of our struggle. Jerry was alluding earlier to the fact that our first Morocco trip, which was very different than what we're doing now, but we were smuggling Bibles and DVDs about the Jesus film and, and, and gospel tracts into the country. It's illegal to do that. We knew it was illegal. We were warned that, that we could be arrested. Uh, the very last, next to the last day of our trip, we were arrested, held overnight, six of us from here in this church. And I was struggling, sitting there in police headquarters, thinking, I mean, they're all mad at me. They're all mad at us, you know. Everything. I, did we do something wrong? Absolutely not. I would do it again in a heartbeat. It is, it is a travesty that they make it illegal to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ into that country. The people in Morocco need to get the gospel. And so we, we knew this ahead of time. We were prayed about it ahead of time. But there was a little bit of a sense of, maybe we shouldn't have done this. This is a bad thing. Not at all. We would do it again in a heartbeat if God called us to. But of course, now we've got a whole other better way of, of advancing the gospel by rebuilding homes and there's a church being planted and everything else. But haven't, have you ever experienced that where you share the gospel with somebody and they respond with some level of anger or hostility and you think, I must have done something wrong here? Not necessarily. Now, I need to say not necessarily because, you know, if, if you're just being obnoxious, okay, if you're being argumentative, if you're being pushy, if you're doing it on company time, if you're breaching corporate policy, don't do that stuff, okay? Don't do any of that, all right? Be, you know, follow corporate policy. Uh, don't do it on company time. Be humble, be gracious, don't be argumentative. But see, even when you do that, there will be times when you're persecuted. And you can just rest, okay? So that's why it's helpful to understand that every follower of Jesus will have times where you are being being persecuted. Does that make sense? Okay, now. So here we are, we're reading the Bible, we're reading the gospel, this is good news here, and, and we come upon this part that says, everybody who follows Jesus will be persecuted. I thought this was good news. Is this good news? Uh, well, let's keep, keep pondering this. How should we feel about being persecuted? How should we feel about that? How, like, what's in your heart right now? Is your heart sinking? Ah, how should we feel about it? Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted. Now, blessed means rejoice that God's favor is on you. It means rejoice, God's favor is on you. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Verse 11, Jesus states it even more strongly. He says, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice, one word, be glad, two words. Those words in the Greek mean feel really happy. Okay? It's like this is a stunned silence here. Do you get that? All right. Feel really happy. When? When you're persecuted. So when we're persecuted, what Jesus is saying here, and see, this is this is so countercultural. Uh, not just countercultural from the from the unbelieving culture, but this is countercultural, unfortunately, for too much of the Christian culture. I've got to confess, I mean, preaching this passage, I'm I mean the passage is up here. And like, I'm, I'm like trying to get my heart up in sync with this, okay? This is like, this is totally different than what we're used to thinking. This is very countercultural for us, even Christian countercultural. But church, we've got to just say, Jesus, speak to us. This is the truth. This is your word. Change us. We don't want to fudge this or manipulate this so this fits us. We want to change us so we fit this, right? And what Jesus says is, blessed are you. Rejoice and be glad when you're persecuted. Let me show you a couple of their passages. I know this is going to be a little bit of a 
of a tilt for some of you. Look at Luke chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. He states the same thing, but he puts it even more strongly. Luke 6, 22 to 23. This is page 862 in the Bibles we passed out. Luke 6, 22 and 23. This is even more shocking. Jesus says, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. <laughs> leap for joy. Right? So you understand what he's saying here. He wants to make sure you really get this. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Why? For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. So just let this sink in. Our Lord, our Savior, who's teaching us the truth of who he is, of what life's about, of who God is, he says that when we're persecuted for his sake, when we're, when we're persecuted in that way, we should feel blessed. We should feel really happy so much so that we're, we're leaping for joy. Now let me give you an example from the scriptures of, of a group of guys who did this. Okay, Look at Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. This is to the right, page 914. Think about Peter, and think about Matthew, and think about John and the other apostles. Okay, They were here during the Sermon on the Mount. They were probably as shocked as you are. They heard Jesus say, you know, be glad in that day that you're persecuted and leap for joy. And they're, so they're hearing Jesus talk about this. And they took it in and they were changed by it. And so when, in Acts chapter 5, Peter and Matthew and John, they're out there in the streets talking to people about Jesus, just publicly telling people about Jesus. Jesus warned them what could happen. They, he warned them they could be persecuted, but they're out there just talking to people about Jesus. And sure enough, just as Jesus said, they were arrested. They were taken into a custody. They were beaten. And let's look at the whole story. Start in verse 40. When they, the leaders, had called in the apostles, they, they beat them. You can easily just gloss over that. We're not talking about a slap on the wrist here. We're talking about Peter was beaten. Matthew was beaten. The apostles were beaten. They beat them. And charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So just imagine, I mean, the emotional trauma, the physical trauma, and how difficult that would be to experience, verse 40. But then look at verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing. <laughs> rejoicing. Peter was rejoicing. Limping, I don't know, you know, bleeding, bruised, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And then what do they do? They've just been arrested, beaten, commanded not to speak about Jesus. What do they do? Verse 42, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. See that? Fearless. I mean, they were impacted by the Sermon on the Mount. 
So Satan tries very hard to stop our mouths by the threat of persecution. But think of how radical this would be. If you can change your thinking so that when persecution comes, you're rejoicing, Satan's attempts to thwart us are are foiled. You've heard the phrase that the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. If you have in your heart the reality that being persecuted for the sake of Christ, not because you're obnoxious or because you're arrogant or because you're doing it on company time, but humbly, winsomely, lovingly, graciously, not on company time, but you're speaking of Jesus, and if you can have in your heart that any persecution that would come from that would cause you to be glad and leap for joy, then all of Satan's threats of persecution are just going to spur you on. You're going to be fearless in front of that, which is why Jesus teaches what he does in this last beatitude. Okay. I mean, really? Be glad and leap for joy? I mean, really? You suffer loss for the gospel and you're supposed to be glad about it? Why? How? Let's ask that next. Why would we feel joyful and glad about being persecuted? Like, are are followers of Jesus like masochists? Are we like idiots? I mean, hello? Why on earth would you feel joyful and glad about being persecuted? So we have to ask the question, why? Um, Too often we can read a passage like this and, and say, okay, I'm supposed to feel blessed and I'm supposed to feel joyful and glad about the possibility of being persecuted. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'll try to feel blessed about the thought. Ugh. I'll try to feel glad. I'll, I'll try to little leap. It's just not happening, right? I mean, see, this is not a matter of you just willpowering. There's something totally wrong with that approach. What's wrong with that approach is that it's ignoring the reasons Jesus gives for why. The promises that Jesus gives for Why? Too many Christians, I don't want anybody at Mercy Hill Church to be doing this. Too many Christians, we read just the commands and we somehow we're just blind to the reasons. We're blind to the promises motivating the commands. We just think it's, I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to. Jesus here gives two powerful promises. And when we see the promises Jesus gives, and when we trust the promises that Jesus gives, our hearts will be changed and we will feel the things that Jesus is calling us to feel here. We will rejoice at the prospect. So what are the promises? First is in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for, so here's the promise, here's the reason, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So here's the promise. If you're persecuted, for righteousness' sake, because you've been speaking of Jesus, you are going to receive the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. What's the kingdom of heaven? I mean, it's heaven, right? It's his perfect kingdom of goodness and peace and joy, all centered in the wonder of knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. If you're persecuted, you will receive the kingdom Now, how does that work? It's not, hear this very carefully, because being persecuted earns you the kingdom. It's not like, I'd like to receive the kingdom. Okay, to do that, I need to go out and be persecuted because then I'll be worthy of the kingdom. That's not how it works. Okay, here's how it does work. When you're persecuted for the sake of Jesus, what that shows you is that you're trusting Jesus. 
You've already been trusting him. And how do we receive the kingdom? By trusting Jesus Christ. I mean, see, why else would you risk the cost of telling somebody at your workplace about Jesus? Why else would you risk the ostracism with your friends about telling them about Jesus? It's because you trust Jesus. You love Jesus. And so persecution for Jesus' sake shows that you're trusting Jesus. And it's those who trust Jesus who receive the kingdom of heaven. So when you're persecuted for Jesus' sake, you can know you're just assured afresh, I'm receiving the kingdom. I'm going to get the kingdom. The kingdom is coming to me. That's what he means when he says in verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Being persecuted shows that you're trusting Jesus. It's by trusting Jesus that you get the kingdom of heaven. And so if you're persecuted, you will get the kingdom of heaven. Okay, second promise. Verse 12. Same idea, slightly different words. Rejoice and be glad. And here's the four. Here's the reason. Because your reward is great in heaven. Okay, notice here. Jesus motivates us with rewards. Rewards. For some reason, some Christians are nervous about rewards talk. Jesus is not nervous about rewards talk. He wants you to be motivated by rewards. It's not like, you know, some of you more selfish Christians, you need rewards. The really holy ones have some kind of a higher motivation. There's no higher motivation than the reward. Why? Because what's the reward? The reward is not bigger mansion in heaven, bigger crown in heaven, or some kind of thing like that. Those are all metaphors for what's in verse 8. Look at verse 8. Remember? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? See God. God is the reward. God is the prize. He wants us motivated by rewards because he is the reward. And you can't want that reward too much. And so Jesus is motivating us with the reward. And he says, rejoice and be glad when you are in the, in the midst of persecution because your reward is great in heaven. You are going to see God. You're going to behold God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So here's how it works. When people speak against you, if you lose a promotion because of your being a Christian, uh, if you lose some friends, that's a lot of loss. Loss, 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 right? A lot of loss there. But all that loss is more than, far more than compensated for by the fact that you're going to receive, you are going to receive the great reward of the kingdom of heaven, of seeing God. And so because that reward is coming, yes, there's loss, but there's reward. And so the reward enables you then to be glad, to be blessed, to leap for joy because of the reward that you're going to receive. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom's coming. So that's how this works. When you, when you feel in your heart that seeing God is infinitely valuable, when you feel it in your heart that seeing God is your treasure, that the kingdom of heaven is, is your all-valuable prize, then you will gladly suffer loss here to receive that because you're receiving the infinite treasure. It's kind of like anybody ever invested money in anything? You know, you invest money, you write a check, maybe, you know, $1,000, okay? And, and well, there, there's loss there. You know, 
buy buy a thousand dollars. Oh no! Well, why did you do that? I mean, what if every thousand dollars you invested brought you like eight thousand dollars back? Would you like cry when you sent the eight thousand the thousand dollar check? I mean, you'd, you'd want to write maybe two, right? Isn't that how it works? I mean, there is loss. It's like bye bye. I could have done something else with this, but okay, bye bye thousand dollars, and then cha ching. You know, I don't know. Anybody know about deals like that? <laughs> Hang on to your wallet, okay? But anyway, if it sounds too good to be true, it is. But anyway, just in theory, okay, if every $1,000 you invested something brought $8,000 back in a month, you'd want to invest more than just $1,000, right? Because the, the, the loss of that $1,000 for a month is infinitely made up for by the gain. So here's our problem. We don't see that. We just see this, right? Here's an example. You guys have heard about Jim Elliott probably. Um, Jim Elliott, this is 1950s, young father, young new, newlywed father, had, had some kids, not newlywed, he wasn't newlywed, and then he had kids, okay, um, and he had a heart for the Auca Indians in Ecuador, is that where it was? Okay, I think it was Ecuador, okay, and uh, unreached people group in Ecuador, and the scary thing was that some oil engineers had gone in to talk with these Indians about drilling for oil, and they'd been killed, speared to death. But Jim Elliott had a heart for the Alka Indians. I mean, maybe you've heard the story. And he, along with a couple of their guys, decided we're going to fly in, we're going to, we're going to land our plane, and we're going, to, we're going to live with them. And we're going to, we know it's risky, we know we could be killed like the oil engineers were, but we're going to, we're going to be there, preach the gospel. If I heard the story right, right before he left, his son was afraid and asked him if he was going to take a gun. And Jim said to his son, with love and probably tears in his eyes, he said, uh, you know, my heaven is secure. They need to hear about Jesus. I would never want to take a gun into this situation. Because if I go to heaven, if, if I die, that'll be okay. But they need to hear the good news of Jesus. Anyway, so you heard the story, you probably heard the story, but they flew in and they landed, and uh, within a period of time, they were all killed. Um, the story doesn't stop there, though, okay, because uh, his wife ended up meeting, I mean, uh, others went in later on, uh, those, one of those men, at least, who was involved in killing them came to Christ, his wife, Jim's wife, met him, and a church has been established there. But you've all heard the famous phrase that Jim Elliott wrote in his journal before this all happened, obviously. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Right? He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Thousand dollars, eight thousand, some ostracism, some countries it's imprisonment, it could be even death. The kingdom of heaven. Seeing God. Not because persecution earns that, but because we trust Jesus. He is our prize. Seeing God in Jesus is our infinite treasure. And so we will give everything up for the sake of that. We trust Jesus. And so when we're persecuted, we can say, you're worth it all. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. So see, that's how it works. But now we've got to be honest here. I mean, just look in your own heart. What are you feeling more? The, 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 the pain of loss or are you feeling the joy of gain? 
Are, are you feeling more the pain of loss of friends or promotion or ostracism or whatever else might, the cost of persecution might be? Is that, is that what you're feeling mostly? Or are you feeling mostly the joy of the gain? See, if you, if you don't see mostly the joy of the gain, you're never going to be able to obey this, right? Because this all depends upon the fact that you, you're tasting what it is to see God. And so you want him more than anything else. And to obey him, just like we sang this song, where you go, I'll go. If this life I lose, I'm going to follow you. Not just words, but this is reality. So what do we do? What do you do if you look at your heart and you say, I'm not really feeling the gain all that much. I'm not really sensing much of the, the joy of seeing God. I'm feeling like the fear of the loss. Okay, you're not alone. All right? We, we know what that is to go through those times. I'm there often, too often. So here's this last question. How then can we obey Jesus' call to rejoice in persecution? If your heart's just not there, what do you do? Remember? The order of the Beatitudes is not random. Jesus starts with the first Beatitude, which is something that we all can do. No matter where your heart's at, we all can do this. So even if right now in your heart you're just not feeling the joy of seeing God, that's just like theory, you're just not resonating with that very well. Okay, you can do the first Beatitude, right? See, we all can do the first Beatitude. There's no one here who can't do that because the first beatitude means acknowledging before the Lord Jesus, I am poor in spirit. I'm poor in spirit. I'm bringing nothing to the table. I'm I'm not feeling the joy of knowing you, God, right now. I'm just not. And so you can come before the Lord Jesus with this first beatitude and admit to him, I'm poor in spirit. Help me. I need you to change my heart. I need you to forgive me. I put my trust in you. And whenever you come before the Lord Jesus with this first beatitude and and admit that you're poor in spirit, what will yours be? Yours will be what? The kingdom of heaven, the power of the kingdom will break into your life at that point and start to bring about change in your heart. Change will start to come. Now, do you get this? Do, Do you see, church, that no matter how spiritually bankrupt you are, Do you see this? You can start with the first beatitude. Do you get that? No matter how far from God, like like how far from God is too far. Well, you're just like poor and poor and poor in spirit. No matter how far from God you are, you can do the first one. If you'll come to him as you are. Do you see that? I love the beatitudes. This is the best news in the world because no matter what state your heart's in, you can start with the first one. I don't think you're getting this. Are you seeing this? It's like the bar is not like, okay, to be to start off following Jesus, I gotta like the bar is up there. Oh, it's just it's just not working very well. No, the bar is like, we're talking down here, okay? Lower. Alright, you see that? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. You are poor in spirit. You can start there, but see, if we will come and bring our poverty of spirit to Jesus. Sam, I'm not feeling the joy and persecution thing, Father. I'm not feeling the joy of heaven right now. I'm much more afraid of the loss. I'm much more fearful of having neighbors look at me strangely. But I'm here. Help me. I'm poor in spirit before you. Change me. Jesus, to your death on the cross, forgive me. I'm looking to you. I'm trusting you. If you will do that, everything will change. Everything will change. Are you seeing this? See, and then you, 
One of the changes is that you'll mourn. You'll mourn over your sin. Forgive me. I'm, I'm, I'm loving money more than you. I'm loving position more than you. I'm loving friends more than you. How could I do that? You are the infinite God of the universe. You made me. You created me. I've tasted of your presence. I've, I know there's nothing that compares to you. Forgive me. I'm mourning for my sin. And when you do that, what will happen? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And see, God will pour his comfort out upon you when you do that. When you come before him and are poor in spirit and you mourn and your trust is in Jesus Christ, you will experience supernatural comfort. You will feel his nearness coming to you. You will taste of his presence. Even though you're not in heaven yet, you'll, you'll be able to see with the eyes of your heart God in Jesus. And you'll, you'll taste and you'll know and you'll feel. I mean, yesterday afternoon I was feeling kind of hopeless thinking about this passage because I, I, wasn't, I wasn't feeling it. I mean, it wasn't like there was any huge you know, distraction in my life, but it's just like, Lord, how can I talk about this tomorrow? Because I'm just not resonating in my heart with the wonder of seeing you. I'm just not. You know, our hearts get that way sometimes, right? And so, you know what I did after a little while of, of feeling discouraged? You know what I did? Tell me what I did. What did I do? Pray, but what? Poor in spirit! Listen to Jerry, your other elder. Okay, listen to him, okay? I, I, I said, okay, this is good news. I can start the poor in spirit one. And uh, don't overstate it. It's not like I didn't hear the angels singing or anything, but, but, um, but God, God did something in my heart. And, uh, and I loved him. And I, I wanted him. And I wanted him more than anything. And uh, anyway, that's what he'll do. Okay, so that's where this all starts. And see, once you taste then of God's real presence through Jesus by the Holy Spirit, once you feel oh, the joy of knowing you is everything, you won't fear slander because You've got the kingdom coming, right? You won't fear ostracism because you are going to see God. You won't fear loss of a promotion because you're going to hear from Jesus' own lips, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. You won't fear anything. Uh, Hebrews 11, 24 through 20, I've been memorizing this. It just was perfect for this morning. By by faith, Abraham... uh, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, did not... Oh, now I shouldn't have... Let's turn there. <laughs> Hebrews 11, 24 to 28. This is a perfect illustration. Hebrews 11, 24 to 28. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, why would he do that? I mean, he's, he's Pharaoh's daughter, and he's going to choose to be mistreated with the people of God. Why? Verse 26, here's the reason. He considered the reproach of Christ, persecution for Christ's sake, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Suffering Loss, for Christ's sake, is greater gain than the treasures of Egypt. Why? What are the last words in in that verse? He was looking to what? The reward. Okay? He was looking to the reward. So here's my, my promise to you. More important, here's Jesus' promise to you. 
If you will live in these first two beatitudes, if you will, this is not just where the Christian life starts, this is where the Christian life is lived. Every day we need to come before the Lord Jesus. I'm poor in spirit. I'm mourning. I bring nothing of goodness to the table. I need everything from you today. The kingdom of heaven will be yours. You will feel his comfort. His power will change your heart. He will give you tastes of the treasure of seeing him, the tastes of the treasure of knowing him. And when you taste the treasure of knowing him, everything else will just drop down in terms of importance to you because you're going to have him. And you'll be able for his glory, for the reward of knowing him, to to suffer for his sake. You'll be fearless. And you'll be glad and you'll leap for joy when persecution comes. So I promise you, Jesus promises you, if you will start with those first two Beatitudes, then he will work in your heart and he'll bring about change. So here's what I want us to do. Dave, why don't you come on up? Dave's got a powerful, he's going to just do that song again that we did earlier. Where you go, I'll go. And I just want us to pray. And would you just be really honest with the Lord about where you are? Um, I mean, some of you are probably just full of love for the Lord. You're feeling it. You're like, yes, you know, bring it on. And others of you are like, I'm not feeling it. Help me, Lord. That's okay. We're, we're, all, we're all where we are. But we all can come to that first beatitude and ask the Lord Jesus, come and change our hearts. Come and, and, and work in my heart for the glory of your name. So God, I pray for us right now. Lord, this is really, really different than what we're used to thinking. And I pray that you would work in our hearts now by the power of your spirit, that that we all could come with that first beatitude and say, we are here, we are poor in spirit. We need you to help us. We need your work in our hearts. And then, Lord, as we do that right now, during this song, would you bring change to our hearts? Would you enable us to, would you give us a taste of what it will mean to see you? Would you give us a taste of that joy, of that love, of the, of the majesty that you are? Lord, please, I plead with you in my heart and in each of our hearts. Father, the friends we have who don't know you, unless we speak the gospel, they are going to stay prisoners of Satan's kingdom. Help us to feel that. And for their sakes, for our joy, for your glory, would you bring change upon us right now, I pray. So as Dave leads us, just pray. Be poor in spirit. Admit to the Lord where you are and ask him to work. Come, Lord, right now, I pray. Jesus' name.